So hi everyone, welcome to today's interview. I'm especially excited for this one because I just know that the amount of value that's going to be shared here is going to be immense. I'm bringing to you Jack Gray, who is an awesome guy. He's also a renowned speaker and author and a high performance coach specializing in the area of finances and business and not just the mindset, but also how to get the results in that area. And of special interest to us, he also is a former Jehovah's Witness. So there's a lot of advice we can find out in you know, books and courses and things that's, that may be great advice, but it just doesn't quite land or it doesn't quite resonate on the deep level that you'll be able to find through having a conversation with someone like Jack. So I'm really excited for this conversation. It's always a pleasure. So thanks, thanks a lot for joining us, Jack. Thank you very much for having me on your show. So before we get started into the real, the meat of it, are you, are you okay to just share a bit about your own story and your own background? I've given this brief overview, but there's so much more to it. So how, how did you start off in relation to the organization and how was the transition out of it? Well, I was born and raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, I was raised in a um, religiously divided household. My father was a Catholic. My mom was a Jehovah's Witness. She still is until today. Um, so as a matter of fact, because of this, my childhood was more normal, I would say. I was you know, allowed to play with my worldly cousins and my neighbors and my classmates. And I would go to many parties and you know, play soccer with them and stuff like this because... Um, you know, my mom was never fanatical, plus my dad was a Catholic, right? So um, it was not their rigid household um, with, you know, a lot of rules of who you can and cannot play with. So I'm actually very fortunate. I thought most of the kids, JW kids, are raised like this until, you know, <laughs> I realized that's not the case because if you have two parents who are very fanatical, a lot of times they, they won't even allow the kids to play with the next door neighbor, you know, on the street. So I was, I was actually fortunate that way. Um, my parents were not a good match. They were always fighting. So eventually the marriage didn't last. Uh, and, you know, they split up. I lived with my father for about nine years. No, sorry, seven years without my mom. And then I lived with my mom without my dad. Uh, so during the time when I lived with my father and three of my sisters, when I realized that my dad will put up a fight to kind of, you know, get us out of witnesses, we really bonded together, me and my three sisters. And because of his opposition towards the, the religion, our faith grew very strong. Uh, it's just like you oppose anything, you know, you put up a fight and then it becomes stronger and stronger. So I became a very strong believer. So did my three sisters. They all became pioneers. One served in Bethel. I became an elder, you know, like we were as strong as it gets, as deep in the religion as you can get, right? And I was, I was very strongly believing in everything that they were teaching. Um, and uh, it was very difficult to leave because all my life was revolving around this. At the same time, I had quite a large family, Jehovah's Witness family, more than 20 people 
that were and we're very close like with my sisters and now they have kids their kids uh are close with my kids there was sleepovers every second weekend you know there was parties picnics all the time plus i started developing a business so i had employees who were java's witnesses i had tenants in my apartment units who were java's witnesses so i'm like surrounded by them mm. And at the same time, being an elder, you, you know, people look up to you, right? They come to you for advice. And, you know, I traveled to give talks and this and that. So I'm, I'm like, I'm really high up there, right? And when they came up with this overlapping generation idea, they came in, you know, around 2010. And then they, they had this video in 2013 in Watchtower. You know, I realized that something was really wrong here because it just totally doesn't make sense. So that was my turning point when I started doing research. Uh, it still took me about a year of reading and research to actually admit that there, it's not the truth. Yeah. Uh, that where I am is, is, is wrong. But it was really hard because my wife didn't want to do any research. I realized that if I keep going this way and if I leave, I'm going to lose everything and everyone. And that was the tipping point for me because I read Crisis of Conscience by Raymond Friends. And I realized, holy smoke, that this, you know, when you start reading, you're thinking, oh, maybe, maybe there's like 5% that is wrong. You know? yeah. But the religion is still the truth. And then you keep on reading, well, maybe 10% is wrong. And then maybe 15 and then 30. And like, I'm halfway through the book and I'm already at 50-50. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I, if I keep on reading, it's only going one direction, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I was, I was terrified. It's in, in, the fear is so immense. Mm -hmm. I can't even put it into words for anybody who was never a Jehovah's Witness or who was never in a cult. They just simply don't get it. They can't understand it. And it's very difficult for me to explain it. But when I started doubting, and I was in front of the computer trying to download Crisis of Conscience. First of all, I had to somehow find a justification for it. So I had to tell myself, hey, listen, I, I'm an elder and I have to protect the congregation mm -hmm. because they, I heard people that are, you know, they read the book and they left. So I have to learn what Satan is using as trap in order to protect the organization, right? To protect the congregation. After all, I'm the shepherd and they're the sheep. So with that justification, yeah. it allowed me to click on the computer and download the book. But believe me, I locked the front door. I made sure my wife is not home. I locked the door to my office. I covered all the windows, right? And I was shaking, like my hand was shaking. And, I, I, and I'm like, this is not normal. It's not normal for a grown-up man to be afraid of reading a book. No. You, you, you can be afraid of stealing from somebody. <laughs> you can be afraid of, you know, walking on the edge of the cliff. You can be afraid of, you know, a lot of things. But reading a book and I'm, like, terrified, something psychologically was wrong. And I didn't know what it was at that moment. But I just realized it, it shouldn't have happened. Um, and, you know, surely enough, when you read it, when you discover the brainwashing and, and the con mind control, then you're like, whoa. Then you realize, wow, my mind was controlled. And now I know why the fear. 
So it's very difficult. I really feel for those who try to leave and they, they feel stuck because I had really hard time. My mind, I would say, collapsed. I, I can't describe it any other way. It's like having a building and the foundations fell apart. Yeah. And everything just fell apart because you just don't know what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. You don't know where you came from. You don't know what, where you are. You don't know where you're going. Before you had all the answers as a JW. Mm -hmm. And now you don't have any <laughs> because you're questioning everything because whatever was installed in your mind, you realize it was, it was wrong. Um, so as a result, my sisters decided to shun me. Their husbands obviously decided to shun me. I was never disfellowshipped, but they just realized, hey, if you're not part of this, then you are a threat to our faith. Therefore, you're not a good uh, example. You're not a good Christian, whatever it is that they believe. So out of fear, they shunned me. Yeah. I was very lucky to wake up my wife, although it took a few years to do that. Uh, but eventually she did. And this way I was able to save my family. Um, and for that, I'm extremely grateful. And that, that's an achievement that that there are many people who dream of it and if, if they still pray they'll pray for it and it's uh, so so to be able to to do that much is you know that that's a lot of big steps and I, i'm curious especially because and probably everyone who's listened to this has experienced it to some degree that loss of the mental structure to go from absolute certainty like you know this is truth about like mankind divinity history yes. plan for the, like all of that certainty to then being right everything that you thought was stable data isn't and that's and when you've based so much of your identity and your your psychology upon that foundation and the rugs pulled from under you how does a person or, or how in your case did you recover from that and how did you because you know an, an ego collapse an identity collapse you have to deal with it and then you have to rebuild so i'm curious right. how, how in your case you managed to to counteract that right so you're absolutely right the the enormous amount of uncertainty that enters your door is it's crazy because jehovah's witnesses not only tell you all the answers but what's unique about jehovah's witnesses in comparisons with any other religions or cults out there is that every Jehovah's Witness is also a teacher. So you don't only go to church and listen to what the priest has to say, you have to teach it yourself. And when you teach something, it becomes part of you. It becomes like you are the representative of what you're teaching. So when you realize it's all wrong, you're like, what about all the people that I have been talking to? I've been, you know, every week going door to door, you know, giving them the magazines, all my return visits, all the, the Bible studies that I had. It's like uh, I've been lying to them. And it's just the pressure is it's enormous. It's for most people who lead their religion, it's like, I believe that. No, I don't believe it. That's it. Yeah. But not for Jehovah's Witnesses because they were teachers. And that's, you know, for me, it was like my mind literally collapsed. I didn't know what to do. My wife put up a really big fight at the beginning. She said, it's, you know, oh, if, if you keep going this way, you will not only uh, not, like, you're not going to get disfellowshipped, but the kids will get baptized one day, 
And if they leave this home, you will never see them again. Mm. Right? That's just a, just a thought, you know, just of not seeing my kids. Didn't know whether my marriage is going to last. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I, I got depressed. So you absolutely, you just, the, the whole structure just collapses. And when it comes to rebuilding, I tell you what I should have done is I should have gone for some professional help to a, a therapist or somebody who has experience in this. But to be honest, even at that state, it's so difficult because I was still a believer that maybe Jehovah's Witnesses are right and it's just me who's messed up because of all the research that I'm doing, right? Yeah. So I was literally afraid of going to a therapist because I didn't want to bring bad name on Jehovah, mm -hmm. right? Because if you just go to a therapist and you say all the stuff you've learned, you're going to bring a bad light to the organization and Jehovah and his name and so on and on. And, and you don't want to do that because, you know, you've been always taught that, you know, you're supposed to talk about good things. <laughs> so I, if I, I could recommend it to anybody else, I would say just go for professional help, right? Go to people who, um, who have, like even, even a lot of therapists, they don't know how to help you because they've never been the Jehovah's Witnesses. But there are so many resources today that you can go to so many people you can talk to who are licensed therapists or coaches and they are ex-Jehovah's Witnesses so they will understand you and they can really help you to rebuild your life after much quicker. Um, so. I would strongly recommend that for myself, how I rebuilt this myself. I went to many seminars. I went to many uh, self-help um, you know, uh, coaches and, and stuff like this. Really, really helped me. Uh, no doubt about it. I think uh, I attended um, Date with Destiny with Tony, uh, Tony Robbins. Yeah. I think that was one of my biggest turning points when I understood he talks about like um, eight levels of consciousness. And that was a turning point for me because I realized where Jehovah's Witnesses are at their level of consciousness, where I am, why is the anger there? Why is the, like, I'm just going through this transformation of, of, my, um, of my spirituality. And when I understood that, then everything started falling into place. Everything started to make sense of where I am, what I'm going through, what's gonna be my next step, and so on and on. If you don't have the knowledge, skills, and somebody to help you, you're gonna be like somebody in the fog trying to find a way out, constantly going to um, dead ends. You, you know what I mean? So asking for help really, really is important. Yeah, I remember when I was in the process of extricating myself, uh, a good friend of mine who I still care a lot about, we don't speak anymore, obviously, but he said, he said, what do you think of suicide bombers? I'm like, well, then they're not the smartest people. I don't think like, it's not the best way to go about things. And he said, right, don't be a suicide bomber for Satan. In other words, like when, if, you, if you speak bad of the truth or if you do things that could discourage JWs, then you're not, just, you're not just taking your own spiritual life, but you're potentially costing someone else their spiritual life or their salvation as well. And wow, it, I never heard that. No, I think it, it, was a, it was a cool guy and gave some great, uh, great talks and that, but I think that was one of his. And I thought that's, at the time, I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. I'll, I'll try not to. And now, having come this far, I'm like, yeah, the, 
the amount of people who are active online and searching for help and, and listening to this as well, that, that's the tip of the iceberg of the people who have left and who really need the help. So, yeah. so, so one of the things that we're talking about in terms of the, the transition phase is there's a lot of loss that has to be gone through and that's dealt with when uh, you either leave or you're kicked out of an organization like the JW. Right. And I know that's something that you, you talk about at, at depth to, to understand it and, and how to deal with it as well. Yes. Yes. When it comes to loss, every JW has to actually, I used to call it losses. Now I call them transitions because there is no loss unless you believe it's a loss. And the, the very first thing it's, we call it loss of love because you have so many friends and family that are in the organization. that are really ready to shun you from one day to the next. Sometimes, you know, with one sentence, you say it, you know, something wrong and they're like, that's it. You're, I can't be around this person. There's so much fear in that uh, environment that if you say anything that questions their faith, they're too scared to even engage in a conversation with you. There's no such thing as we agree to disagree. Is it like you agree with everything that I believe or I'm not hanging around with you. So most people lose whoever they had in the organization, whether it's, you know, even their own children, parents, uh, siblings, cousins, friends. Um, and it was the same thing with me. I was lucky to keep my wife, but, uh, you know, my sisters, my cousins, um, they all, they're all shining me. So that is a huge loss that you feel at first. Uh, you actually feel like you're not worthy of love, that people don't care about you, that you only, you only matter to these people because you had a certain standard in a religion and without that religion, you're nobody to them. So it's a huge psychological pain that everybody has to experience because of this. But at the same time, I call it the transition because now you can start experiencing love and connection with people regardless of your religion, regardless of your beliefs. And you can start connecting on a level that you didn't experience before because you couldn't, you were not allowed to because everybody outside the religion was worldly and they're going to die at Armageddon and they're, you know, worshiper of Satan in Babylon the Great and whatever they called it. So no matter what connection you had, you know, it had to be rather hidden if you had a good connection with somebody outside or business or just, you know, um, neighbor kind of a comrade. You couldn't be close friends. But now that you're outside, you realize, hey, People will accept you even if you disagree with them. People will love you for who you are even though you have different beliefs. And with that concept, when you realize that, oh, somebody can accept me as a friend even though they have different beliefs, it brings you on a totally different level when you experience that what we call unconditional love. Mm. When instead of, oh, I want to spend time with you. I want to be friend with you. If you believe this and this and this, <laughs> that's conditional love. Then you're constantly being friends, but you have a high level of fear of what if they find out that I watch this movie that I'm not supposed to listen to the music that is not recommended, right? What if they see me on Saturday morning 
you know, riding a bike instead of going to service. So there's a lot of fear around Jehovah's Witnesses. But once you're out of it, you can experience connections with people on a level where you can be authentic, you can be yourself, and you know you're going to be loved no matter what. And that is a million times better than the conditional love that Jehovah's Witnesses give. And once you experience that, then that's why I say it's not really a loss. It's a transition from conditional love of Jehovah's Witnesses into the unconditional love that you can have with people who base their love on the way you treat them, not based on what's your status in their religion. I think that's such a a great point because one of the things uh, I I sent a survey out and I'm I'm avidly researching what people are are dealing with. And, And something that was really common was something I struggled with myself, which is after leaving an environment like that, there's this, this inbuilt belief that people couldn't possibly like or love me for who I am. And right. so I will kind of shun myself, I'll shun my own authentic identity, and I'll become this chameleon. And I'll either isolate myself or I'll put on these, these masks and kind of you know, dance yes. the dance to make people like me. And it, things are very manipulative. But as soon as you give yourself the chance to just break through that shell and just give people the chance to like you for who you are, it, it takes some bravery to, to do that because previously any authenticity would have been, unless it fitted the, you know, fitted the uniform, it would have been punished. And so it, right. it takes bravery to do that. But once you step through it, it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is so much better than, than what was there before. So, yeah, great point. I love that. Because in, uh, among Jehovah's Witnesses, you, they have this mentality of you are with us or you're against us. Yeah. There's nothing else. And when you have that mentality, then you have to agree on everything. Because if you disagree on something, you're automatically placing yourself as an enemy. And that's completely not true in the real world. But this is how they perceive you. That, oh, you have to agree on everything because the moment you say something that they disagree with, you're standing opposite to me and you're a threat. And that's why there's so much fear of being authentic, even when for people who leave the JWs, because they still have that fear, oh, what, what if I say something and, and they're not going to like it and they're going to reject me and they're going to think I'm their enemy. Just because we disagree on something doesn't mean we're enemies, right? But in, in that concept, in that mind control environment, it's extremely strong. And, and one of the things that creates that very much us versus them mindset is that shared sense of purpose, which I know yes. is another thing that, that you talk about in, in a really insightful way. When it comes to loss of purpose, uh, out of all of the losses or transitions, I think loss of purpose was the hardest one for me. Mm. Because for me, being a Jehovah's Witness, being an elder, helping people. I, I have this personality that I really want to work with people. I really want to help them. And Jehovah's Witnesses were great avenue for me to contribute, contribute towards the congregation, contribute towards people. People were coming to me asking for advice, and, and you know I was working with them all quite, quite a lot. So it was this, I felt like this is my purpose. This is who I am. And outside, I didn't experience that yet. So that was all connected with a higher purpose. 
the beauty, well, the beauty, the, what makes a certain purpose even more powerful than anything else is when you feel that you are serving higher purpose, not just for yourself or those who are serving, but you're serving eternal purpose. And for ex-Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witnesses, that's how they all feel, that you know, everything they, they do for an organization, it's an eternal purpose because you're doing this for God and with the idea of paradise and so on. So it's a very, very strong idea of, of uh, I'm doing this for a higher purpose, eternal purpose. And if you try to replace it with something else, it seems like so small compared to that idea you had before. So what am I going to do now? I go, what if well, you can become even a doctor. Well, if you're a doctor and you help people, you help them temporarily with their illnesses. But if you are, you know, Jehovah's Witness, you save their life for eternity. You know what I mean? So no matter what, you could cure cancer and it wouldn't be as important work as going door to door trying to save people's life for eternity. So at the beginning, you think like, whoa, your, your purpose just shrank to next to nothing. Because previously it was so big, and right now it seems so tiny. But in reality, it's the opposite. Because when you're a Jehovah's Witness, for most Jehovah's Witnesses, they did very little to help people. Very little. As a matter of fact, most Jehovah's Witnesses never had a chance even to bring somebody into the organization. Right? There's maybe the pioneers, or in in some less developed countries you see some growth but most of the developed countries they have zero growth now negative growth many of them so the chances for an average witness to bring people in are very low so they're actually making very insignificant um, impact on people as a matter of fact i think they're making negative impact on people uh, with their shining policy. Plus they do a lot of, uh, you know, they drive people crazy when they go knocking on their door. <laughs> so when you realize what you were really doing and you realize your purpose was that small yeah. and now your purpose in life can be infinite because whatever it is that you do outside, if you focus on improving the quality of life, for yourself and others. And you base it on what is it that people are suffering from right now? How can your experience, your knowledge, your skills make other people's life better? And when you improve the quality of life, that's what brings you that joy and fulfillment. When you see that other people's life is better because you were here because of your skills because of your experience and especially among ex-Jehovah's Witnesses you could bring so much value into people who are just waking up and you walk through that path and you see their life changes and then because you help them to get their life straight or change them then their children and you know children of their children will be affected and as a matter of fact, you can have an impact on generations to come. You, you don't even know what kind of an impact you can make, you know, thinking that, oh, you know what, if we create something today, it will impact sometimes hundreds of people for the next X amount of generations. Yeah, that was a huge shift for me because at, at first after leaving, it was like, like you described, it's like, well, compared to that, anything I could do is pointless. 
And then, yes. <laughs> then the, the, the funny shift was when it's like the complete opposite. It's like, well, while I was in, while I was believing that was the truth, my attitude was nihilistic. It was like the, literally the best thing I could do now is die. Like hmm. you're through, you know, like boom, job done. Over. Yes. And, uh, and you've, you've passed all the, the whatnots. And, and I'm like, that was the belief structure in place for me and definitely for others. Whereas when you realize, hey, actually time is precious, then suddenly the life that you have and the days that you have, they become so much more valuable because, you know, like what, what's valuable? Say gold, that's valuable because it's scarce. Mud or yes. clay, that's not valuable because it's, it's all over the place. And so the fact that time is a scarce thing, it means, okay, you can do something meaningful. You can ameliorate suffering and, and help people. And it actually matters. And that reframe where, look, I don't need forever to make a positive difference. Like I can actually right. be happy and feel lucky to have just this miraculous chance existing to begin with. And that makes a right. massive difference. Oh, of course. When I realized that what truly makes our life joyful is what everlasting life would actually take away that joy. Yeah. Because, and I, let me explain. We're always happy when we progress. When we degress, we're unhappy. When, when we see things improving, it makes us happy, right? We see things getting better. But with everlasting life, one thing that, that really is hard to con concept is you could procrastinate for a million of years and still be fine, <laughs> right? Because no moment would be precious because you can always do it tomorrow. Who cares what's happening right now? We can always do it a thousand years from now and still be fine. And what makes us um, happy is when we see that we're getting better and better and better at something. When something is perfect it means it cannot be improved anymore is that two plus two is four you can't improve that equation no. <laughs> it's, it's a perfect equation right if you change anything you will change it for worse so once you achieve that perfection it's the moment when we take things for granted as that's how they are and they no longer make us happy. We just, well, that's how it is. You know, sun goes up, sun goes down, right? And just, we just take it for granted because it's in perfect cycle, right? If we were to become perfect, we wouldn't be able to improve anymore because we're perfect, yeah. right? <laughs> so if you cannot improve, you cannot be happy. Mm. And, and I, when I realized that, I'm like, the imperfections that we have are the actual reasons why we can have hope, why we can have happiness, why we can have joy, because we get to see how we constantly improve. It's like I got two small kids, right? And my younger one, she is like a gymnast. She constantly tries to improve, <laughs> you know, on her splits and standing on her head and dancing and doing things. And it's always like, daddy, 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 come take a look what I've done, right? And almost every day she improves that, you know, two millimeters. Yeah. And that's what makes her happy. And that would be, you know, if, if she did everything perfect, right, then there would be no improvement. There would be no happiness. But every time she improves a little bit, it makes her super happy. And we're all like that. So I realized, you know what, the whole idea, the whole concept of 
being perfect and living without end, um, it's not only, you know, I no longer believe it, but I think it would actually hurt our joy. Like, I can't explain it any other way. Yeah. And, and that's a really interesting way of turning it on its head, because that, that's another one of the things that XJWs feel the loss of very strongly is that loss of hope. They're like, well, I had all this certainty. I had all this hope for the future that right. like we were told, like there's no better life. Like what better life could you have? Where else would we go? As you have the sayings of, you know, all of that. And so to, to make that transition from, from having what we thought was that hope into something actually better isn't right. probably something that many uh, like JWs or XJWs would conceive of as even being possible. Right. And to be honest, we, when I asked this question, even Jehovah's Witnesses, I would ask them, if you had a time machine, to what time frame would you like to go back to? When do you think life was better than it is right now? Yeah. The dark ages, even 100 years ago, you think life was better? <laughs> How about in the 40s, right? <laughs> Uh, beginning of 20th century, how was life back then? How about 500 years ago? You think life was better? How about 1,000 years ago, 2,000, 5,000 years ago, uh, when, when normal way of life was 30% of people uh, were slaves? That was just norm, right? Uh, and the way people would communicate, uh, transport, the food that they were eating, the, their lifespan, and plus all the medical uh, you know, ways of dealing with diseases and a simple toothache or anything. You could be a king and, and have a problem with your teeth. Would you go to a dentist you know, as a King Solomon? You know, what kind of a dentist King Solomon had, right? Yeah. Uh, so when you realize that an average person today has access to, to extraordinary things, uh, things that kings and pharaohs would couldn't even dream of the way you and I communicate right now. If I would show, you know, the richest king uh, this possibility, <clears throat> that would give me so much gold. So like that would give me half their kingdom, like give me one of your cell phones, right? Yeah. So we take it for granted because it's there. But when we realize that, you know, billions of people for thousands of years couldn't have what we have today. They didn't have hot and cold water, you know, available to them, clean water they could drink. They didn't have the technology, the books, information, the roads and bridges and tunnels and airplanes. And an average person working for McDonald's can travel the world if they want to. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's very important to realize that we actually scored big so far. Uh, we're very lucky to live, especially if you're living in a developed country, uh, living in the time that we are living in right now and and I'm watching some of the technology that it's coming in in the next five to ten years it is absolutely mind-blowing well just a few days ago Amazon just got the okay from the government to deliver packages via drones right it, it, that technology itself will change our lives like this right it's gonna be the future is, is very promising <laughs> it's extraordinary what we're going to achieve. Yeah, and, and being able to appreciate what's present, because that's one of the attitudes that's, that's driven into us, right? It's like, oh, you know, you, you 
you hate the world and you hate everything in it and from it. So, well, actually, when you look around, there's, there's a lot to appreciate. There's a lot to be grateful for. And, and the only thing in the way of that, it's like, you know, you're, you're, looking, you're looking through a dirty window. There's a beautiful scene outside, but there's this, this dirty window, ironically. Yeah. I was a window cleaner when I was a JW. And so, so <laughs> <laughs> the irony is when you step outside of it and you, you're no longer looking through that lens, you can actually see all these things that, you know, once upon a time they seemed dull and dark. And now it's, oh, it's actually pretty bright and vivid and beautiful. Well, we were trained to think that way. Yeah. So you, you're not unique. We, we all felt like, oh, this whole world is lying in the hands of the wicked one. And, you know, it's about to end and we're living in the last days and things are really bad and they're constantly focusing on what is bad. Uh, so with that mindset, the, what's bad is always available. There will always be somebody who will be angry. There will always be some, you know, conflict somewhere and disease and, and war, earthquake or, or whatever. There will always be something. And if you focus on that, you will find that what you believe in matches because that's what you're focusing on. Um, but you're looking at the, today what we have more than, than previously is, is a hardcore data. When you can actually look at statistics, hardcore statistics, and they could show you over a long period of time what's truly going on with a much better understanding than you just your own feeling of what you're experiencing. Um, so, you know, it, it shocked me to see how crime has been going down quite significantly for the last couple of decades. And when I presented that to Jehovah's Witnesses, to my own family, they're all attacked me. And I, all what I showed you was just, I showed them a statistic of crimes going down. And they all got angry and all said, it's fake, it's not true. I'm like, this is just police report. <laughs> <laughs> As I, I, I wasn't questioning anything. I wasn't, you know, attacking their faith. I just said the crime is going down, which is a good news. They couldn't even accept the fact that something is getting better, okay? Because it doesn't match their beliefs. The crime is supposed to get worse and worse, and you know, supposed to hear of things, uh, you know, going going from bad to worse. And if you show them something's getting better, it just, you know, it mismatches what they believe in. So they'll attack you, right? Or they'll disbelieve it or, you know, hardcore facts. But if you actually see the facts, you'll see that people live longer, people live healthier, an average person makes more money, an average person has better health, uh, better way of educating themselves, better way of communicating, traveling. As a matter of fact, any area of our life that you can look into, it got better, maybe with the exception of garbage and pollution that are getting worse. But almost anything else is getting better. Yeah, uh, I love that. That's the concept which I tried to live by is I would, I would choose an unpleasant truth over a pleasant lie any day. Yes. Because you can build something from the truth. But, but when you look at the facts and look at the statistics, actually, the truth in the actual sense of it not like the truth tm as, as yes trademarks but the truth actually isn't that unpleasant compared to you know the, the the suffering and the struggle and the genocide that would have been necessary had we been correct in the first place so it's yeah you, know, you you've not actually lost something you've, you've gained so much more in being able to engage 
with the life you've got in the world that we're lucky enough to have been born into. Yes, absolutely. And so and we lose that perspective so easily. We lose it because we're just surrounded by it. A lot of times we see things maybe on social media or TV and we see beautiful lives of, you know, uh, celebrities being rich, driving fancy cars and, and always looking perfect, right, with the Photoshop. So we compare ourselves in our life to that. And we're thinking, oh, my life is not as good as this one, therefore my life sucks. And that's totally not true because if you just compare yourself to reality or how life used to be just a few, even a few decades ago, yeah. then you realize your life is quite extraordinary. Yeah. And, and on that practical level, obviously one of the challenges that many JWs and XJWs face is go, going into the world, maybe not having the connect, well, definitely not having the connections they had before. They may have missed out on things like um, educational opportunities, the opportunity to network and, and build a business network through things like college and university. And this is something that, that I've, I've faced and, and have to work through and, and many others do as well. And so overcoming that and actually being in the world not as the a poverty stricken ex Jehovah's Witness and actually being able to enjoy living life to the fullest and, and having success, not by the like Kim and Kanye definition of success, but right. by, you know, su success by our own individual definitions. Obviously this is a, an area that you specialize in. So I'm curious to hear how you apply that to people having come through what we've come through. Well, when it comes to success, it's extremely important to define what it really is because for me, success is living on my terms. If I live live on my terms and I decide what happens during the day, then I live successfully. If somebody else decides for me, then that is not a life of success. That's, that's my definition, right? So uh, amount of money that you have, um, you could, money can help, but it does not define you as a successful person. I know a lot of people who have a lot more money than me and I look at their life and I, I just feel bad for them because they're slaves a lot of times to their own success, financial success, because they have no time for anything and they, uh, they really struggle in health because maybe they're obese and stuff like this. They, they're single or they, they, their marriage fell apart and stuff like this, but they're financially, they're, they're doing well. So people see them as successful, but I don't, I don't define it as success. For me, success is when, when you have a life that you want to have. And it's, of course, finances really do play a huge role. Um, but it's extremely important to define what kind of life you want to have. And for some people, everybody's different, right? So uh, I know for myself that it's much better for me to be a business owner than to work for somebody else. But for some people, that's not the case. Some people would prefer to work for somebody else because they don't want to deal with all the logistics of running a business, right? They feel free because they clock out, right? And they do whatever they want without thinking of, oh, what, what, what am I going to do tomorrow? Uh, while somebody else would say, no, I don't feel free if I have to work for somebody else because you know, the person that dictates what I can and cannot do for, you know, eight hours a day or whatever it is. 
So we have to first get to know ourselves, our personality and what feels good for us and structure a life based on, on our desire of how we want to live. So that's very important. So when I coach people, first I, I find out what are their values and in what category they put them. And if somebody's one of the top values, let's say is freedom, they want to do whatever they want, then most of the time these people will be at really bad employees, <laughs> right? Because if their top value is freedom, they could work for somebody else if that employer gives them a lot of freedom to, you know, maybe they're working piecework or they're working for creativity or, or on salary. Uh, but it's the, the employer has to be very flexible, right? So you, it's very important to know yourself so you can structure your life based on that. And then and only then you can start thinking, oh, okay, how will my financial situation help me to build my life to the extent that I want to? So when I coach people for, for finances, especially for XJWs, I really help them to understand how being a Jehovah's Witness first crippled them financially and how they can use their knowledge and experience of being a Jehovah's Witness towards their advantage nice. when it comes to success. So the way it cripples them is a lot of, a lot of people still feel like, oh, the education is bad, <laughs> right? Because Jehovah's Witnesses teach that in a higher education that Satan's trap and he's all gonna make you materialistic and you're gonna be just puffed up with pride about your career and stuff like that and you're not humble you're not gonna be serving jehovah you're not gonna be spiritual person you're all you're gonna be all about money and so on and on. so uh, they very strongly discourage the higher education uh although it's very hyper very hypocritical on their part because they're constantly looking for people with higher education and they're constantly using people with higher education, you know, for their medical problems or for their buildings of, of uh, um, you know, Bethel's or Kingdom Halls and so on. Huh? As a matter of fact, one time I remember one elder came up to me and he gave me a list of people, uh, of different professions. And, and he asked me, do you know anybody who has this profession? And it said like doctor, engineer, architect, lawyer, dentist. And it was a, a list written by, with a pencil on a piece of paper, scrap paper. And I asked, where did this come from? And he said, well, it came from Bethel. I'm like, this came from Bethel? There's, there's no way. <laughs> it's like, you, ex you expect a, a letter, right? With a letterhead. And he said, well, this kind of information is being uh, transferred through telephone Right? And we're not allowed to write it anywhere except, you know, as our own personal notes. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> he says, well, because we don't want the congregation to know that we're looking for this type of people. <laughs> so that, and that happened many years ago. And I remember like, well, just, wow, that, 
sounded deceitful, right? Um, But I realized, you know what, that's why so many XGWs have a hard time. They feel like, oh, I wasted so many decades of my life. I didn't educate myself. I didn't save for the retirement. I thought the end of the world is coming, dress around the corner, right? I, I, I have no, I don't have a house. I don't have a business. I don't have a degree. A lot of people don't have kids, right? It's too late for them to have them. So they really feel like victims. And they really feel like, oh, you know what? You can't, I can't succeed in this world. And now the government has to take care of me. So I, I always say, you know what? It, you, you feel like you wasted those, those years only if you believe you wasted. And then you will be a waste. But as a Jehovah's Witness, you have learned a lot of skills that in the business world, they, they are gold. See, for, for most people, the reason why they don't succeed in business is because they can't handle rejection. They, they can't handle it. So they go try something one time, and if it doesn't work, they give up. Three maximum. <laughs> right? I mean, you can see this even with, with uh, people if you give them a, a new phone. You give a f- new phone to a child, the child will press all the buttons because child doesn't care about rejection or that something goes wrong, right? It just presses all the buttons until something works. You give it to somebody who's in their 30s, they try a few things, and if they get in a place where they can resolve it, then they give up, right? You give it to an older person, they press one thing, you didn't give them what they want, and they're like, okay, I can't do this, <laughs> yeah. right? So, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses had this habit this requirement of going door to door and they got rejected almost at all the doors and they didn't stop. They just keep on going because they have a clear vision of what they want, why they're doing what they're doing and they keep on going no matter what, no matter how many rejections they get, what people say to them at the door, they keep on going. And that is a skill that is required to run any business. You're going to hear a lot of no's. And if you're bad at it, at the beginning, you have to face 100 no's minimum before you get one yes. And for most people, that's, that's just impossible to overcome. For a Jehovah's Witness, that's not a problem because they hear no's all the time and they keep on going. See, a lot of people don't realize that business is a very spiritual game, not money, but business. Because when you create business, you create a vision. You create something that doesn't exist yet. It's all here in your mind, right? And when you create something like that, then you have to take it on faith because you have no, no, nothing to back it up with. It's all your personal certainty that something will work, an idea for a product or service. And you have a vision of how it's going to work and you don't know all the odds and ends yet, but you just have this vision and you have faith that it will work. And you can't prove it to anybody that it will work because it didn't happen yet, (laughs) right? So it's a very spiritual game. But you got to have that spiritual mindset of I have an idea of a product or service that I want to bring to the world that will make other people's life better. And I will make a system that will create this so I can spread it to many people out there. And that is exactly what Jehovah's Witnesses are doing. They have a corporate structure. It's not, a lot of people think that Jehovah's Witnesses are based on the Bible. It's very, very little is based on the Bible. <laughs> very little. 
it's all corporate world with the structure, the pyramid structure of you have the governing body who are the um, board members, right? And they control the rest of the people underneath them. And it's the same in the corporate world. And when I realized that, oh, instead of following what Jehovah's Witnesses telling you to do, you're better off doing what they do, right? You'll be as successful as they are, but if you do what they tell you to do, you'll end up most likely being saved by government, right? Because you won't be able to take care of yourself. So I literally copied their structure and I tried to copy that into my business. I, one of the first things I realized, hey, they never rent places for meetings. They never rent them, only for big three-day conventions. But if we are using a place for three hours, two times a week, right? Then we can easily cover the expenses of, of getting a community center or any kind of a room or in a hotel. It's not that expensive. But they would never do that. They would always build and they would get, you know, the congregation to pay the mortgage, which, you know, the congregation would pay the mortgage, but they own the property, which, <laughs> which is another scam on its own. Yeah. Um, but I realized, hey, that's what they do. So instead of complaining about it, I'm like, I got to do the same thing. I got to buy my own home and I got to buy something that I can afford and then build it and ask my friends and family to help me renovate. That's what I did. I pay people with beer and pizza. They just come and smash the wall. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll feed you for a day, right? And, and that's how I started because I did what they do, not what they told me to do. And today I got, you know, board of directors and I have quarterly meetings and I have uh, um, uh, reports of how people perform the same way the Jehovah's Witnesses have the body of elders and they have the um, monthly reports of everybody's uh, service and they have quarterly meetings and all the audits. I have exactly the same structure, identical, because that is a corporate, good corporate structure of a company that is very well maintained and run. But they didn't take it from the Bible. <laughs> There's no such thing as a field service report, pioneer, circle of this year. None of the stuff is in the Bible, right? This is all managers, sub-managers, right? CEOs, board of directors. Those are all just different names for the same roles that Jehovah's Witnesses have in their in their. Um, corporation that's all what it is making that realizations a, a huge leap because j just that makes a shift from someone thinking oh i don't know anything about business i don't have any you know transferable skills to actually make something of myself so just just realizing that hey if you change the the label slightly from right focus overseer so like area manager or a field yes. service report to a, a timesheet or something you know these, yep. we actually know and we were trained through osmosis far more than we, we realized. It's Absolutely. just when you take those labels off and say, hang on, how could this structure be used? There's right. far more available to us that, that we're familiar with. And like you said, with the, the re rejection thing, hell, you know, Absolutely. 100 rejections, that's a, a walk in a park for an ex-pioneer. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. People 
yeah, what the crippled witnesses is, um, it was somebody else's vision. Mm. So when you're going door to door spreading the, you know, the good news, uh, and after, you know, a year, two, five, ten years, it becomes a routine, and you hear no after no after no after no, it becomes normal to get rejected. And after a while, people actually didn't read the magazines, so they wanted to be rejected. They wanted to see closed doors. Uh, they didn't want people to start asking them questions. They were not prepared for it, okay? Uh, so a lot of times that mindset started changing because people started believing that no matter what I do, nobody will say yes to me. Yeah. No matter how many doors I knock on, people will not accept what I have to say. I will not make any impact. I've been a witness for 30, 40 years, you know, going to service every week. I did not convert anybody. I have nothing about it. I don't know how to convert people. I couldn't do it as a witness without asking people for money. How can I do it now in business and ask people for money? That's what it, it cripples people, right? But when you realize that, no, you know what? You just have to tweak tiny little things about your beliefs about money, about charging people, about you know, giving value. You tweak those things and use the skills of every business person needs to have an elevator pitch. Everybody. If you don't have an elevator pitch, your chances of success are very low. Okay? And Jehovah's Witnesses practice that you know, relentlessly. Every meeting, every Thursday meeting, you know, there was an elevator pitch. Right? Yep. What to say at the door. And you have to develop rapport first, ask a question, leave them with a question, right? We know this. We know the structure. So it's something that you can, you know, instead of going for business courses and find out exactly the same information, you can use what you have. You can use what you were trained for, put different labels on it, make little tweaks about, you know, charging people and about your beliefs about money and business. And you're going to be successful if you just follow the same rule. It's, it's a huge advantage. Most witnesses don't realize how much of an advantage they have over other people. Yeah. That, that insight alone is massive like ROI. For, for someone listening to this who takes that on board, that's going to make all the difference to them, which is going to be amazing. So mm -hmm. yeah, thank you for sharing that. In, in relation to what you're doing now, specifically to, um, to this topic of recovering from that type of a, a situation and actually going to live a life on our own terms, living a successful life, living a life of freedom, you've just recently released and published a book, which I'd, I'd love for you to, to say a little bit about because it's, uh, it's, it's got some amazing case studies and, and testimonials in there. I realized that, you know, some stuff is not so perfect, right? But what do you think is going to happen if you leave? You think you're going to find another religion and you're going to find everything that you agree with? You think you're not going to find pedophile cases? You think you're going to agree with all the doctrines that they have? No way, right? So if we leave, we're going to lose everything we have. We might lose our employees. We might lose our tenants. We might lose our family. We might lose our cousins. We're going to lose, you know, everything we have and build and start from nothing? What's better out there? You think you're going to go somewhere and find, find something better? Might as well stay in, 
suck it up. No, not everybody that goes to church believes what the priest is saying. You can go to the kingdom hall once a week, you know, and, and, and listen. You don't have to agree with everything, but at least we're not going to lose, you know, everything that we've built for and just stay in and that's it, right? So at the beginning, I did that, but oh my goodness, you live in fear. You live in a constant fear. What if somebody will ask me a question and I can't answer that, right? What if I go on Saturday morning to a coffee shop and witnesses will see me, right? And I'm not preaching and I'm just, you know, <laughs> on the bike ride or whatever, right? So you're constantly in fear. And I realized that you can't live happy if you're constantly in fear. You can't, if you don't live authentically, then you have to break free from that fear in order to live a happy life, fulfilling life, your own, on your life, on your terms, as I mentioned. So at the beginning, I'm like, you know what? I got to find an answer. My wife said, you know what? If, if you don't find a better alternative, then I'm not going anywhere. Okay. And I completely understood why she said that, especially because at least like she's not very involved with business. So I had a lot of people to talk to during the day, but she's a stay at home mom. So the congregation was everything to her. So I'm like, I got to find something to replace it with. And I couldn't find anything at the beginning because when I went to like XJW meetups and I started talking to people online, I realized, man, they're all angry people, <laughs> resentful and, and just cursing the watchtower all the time. And they're constantly talking about, you know, what the governing body did wrong and, you know, the, the wrong doctrines and they're just making fun of them all the time and sarcastic. And, and I'm like, that, I don't think that's better. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't think that I fit in that environment, right? Uh, so I'm like, that's a bitter life. That's not a better life. So I, I couldn't find anything better, right? So I'm like, well, if you can't find a path, you got to create it. So I started looking for people who had a better life, right? Who actually went through that phase of being angry. But now I can see that, you know what? They live life on their terms. They're not afraid anymore. So I started asking them questions that, uh, you know, um, helped me to realize why they wouldn't go back. Because even the people who were complaining, people who were angry, you know, I asked them, well, if you're so angry because you feel that you have lost so much, you know, you can't talk to your kids, you can't talk to your parents, you can't talk to whatever, right? Then why don't you just go back? If it's so bad, just go back, right? Nobody's stopping you. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that none of them would because living authentic life is more important. It's more valuable to them than any connection, including with their own kids, which, which is huge, right? Yeah. So I realized, well, then that is that secret of happy living, that living authentic life, that you live your life on your terms, if you're willing to give up all the connections that you had um, for that. So I connected with many people because I wanted to show them that, to show the readers that they can live life on their own terms. It's not a book that criticizes Watchtower. It's not a book that exposes their doctrines. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with showing people what we have done with our life 
after we went through the trauma of leaving. And then we're happy where we are today, and then we would not go back. And the reasons why we not go back are in the book. And it's not for anybody to follow somebody else's path. That's very important. Because Jehovah's Witnesses, a lot of times, when I left, it was like I was looking for somebody else to follow, right? Because all your life, you've been following the governing body. So you're constantly looking for answers from the outside. No, it's the book. It has people who are still very strong believers in the Bible. There are people who are agnostic. There are people who are atheists. There are people who believe in like energy healing and, and stuff like this. Is you, you get whole bunch of spectrum of what people did with their life after. And the purpose of the book is not for you to pick and choose one person <laughs> that you resonate with and follow, but to actually see what other people did and that they're happy where they are. So now you get to choose what you're going to do with your life. And it gives enormous amount of perspective, especially when it comes to reading the two last chapters of uh, a, a lady who is an ex-Mormon and a lady who is a Muslim because it gives us a perspective of other people's beliefs, of other people's um, experience, what they believed was a sin, why they were afraid of drinking alcohol or coffee or, or wearing a tank top, tank top on, and, and, and exposing the shoulders, right? That's you know, something sinful for every Mormon. So learning about other religions, learning about why people think differently and why they were afraid of things we as witnesses were not afraid of, right? Yeah. It helps you to shift your mind and you start questioning, oh, maybe, maybe eating birthday cake is not really that bad, mm -hmm. right? Maybe having a beard is not that sinful. And you start asking those questions, what is right and what is wrong? Because you realize, oh, my mind was programmed into believing into so many things as right and wrong. Then you literally have to wipe all the stuff in and, and start judging things based on the consequences that it produces, not based on, oh, he's, this person told me that's a sin. No, and, and that person told me that it's just, you know, Jehovah doesn't like it, and this is demonic, and, and this one Satan loves when you do this, right? So it's, it's so beneficial to read other people's stories. It people, puts everything into perspective, knowing that other people went through this. And it's, when you read it, I, what I love about the stories, they're not negative stories. You, you know what I mean? Like you read the stories and you're like, okay, I resonate with this. I understand this. This person went through hell, but there is a happy ending, right? So you read the stories and you, you really connect with people. And at the same time, knowing that people had 10 times worse. Some of the stories when I was reading, I was like, whoa, tears were going to my eyes. I couldn't even believe it. You talk to a person, you would never even think that that's what they have to go through, right? Yeah. And it puts your life into perspective, like, whoa. And especially, that don't, uh, don't skip the last chapter. Don't, it's the, the Muslim that talks about the refugees that came from Syria. And what she saw, what she heard, is it just puts all our problems into next to nothing. Like, there's a story, I'll just give you one example. There was one woman, I think a bomb end up being in her house, fell on her house, that just killed her family. Like she had to literally, she saw pieces of her children, God. right? And she was pregnant. She escaped the country, delivered a child that ended up being dead. 
Then they made her go somewhere else with a dead child <laughs> the same day to go and register the baby. Then she had to bury the baby with her bare hands, you know, in the dirt. And then you read her story and you think about your own problems in your own life. And you say, well, my problems is somebody doesn't talk to me. And it just, you know what I mean? It just puts everything in perspective yeah. that you just, you know what? I'm just going to kiss the ground I'm walking on and be thankful from now on. <laughs> and, and, and even that has a happy ending. And even that, yeah, even that, wow. she had to rebuild her life. So it just puts your life into, you know what? There's billions of people that would love to have my problems. Mm. I just start, I just have to be more appreciative for what I have. Be grateful for, for the life that I have. One person that is part of the book, um, Eric Wilson, he woke up in his late 60s, he's 70 years old right now, and he gave up all his life to Watchtower. Very active, served as an uh, elder for over 40 years, served in um, where the great need is greater, uh, Colombia. And he woke up, right? Got this fellowship. Well, within two years, he started putting out YouTube videos. He's got like 15,000 subscribers on the English side and 35,000 subscribers on the Spanish side within less than two years. And he says, you know what? I don't know how much time I have left on this planet, but I'd rather live the 10 years that I have left free than than remaining the lives in the witnesses. He's, he's so much happy to that he's just sharing what he has. So sometimes we have this feeling of, you know what, older people, we shouldn't wake them up. So one purpose said, I would rather live one day free than, than live a decade being a witness. Okay. Yeah. A quote that I love is the idea that the mind once stretched by a new idea can never return to its original dimensions. And that's Absolutely. why it's so important to, to read that book and, and other stories like it and see, okay, I used to think, one, I had it really bad, and two, that there was no hope, that there was no chance of a happy ending or things getting better. And when, when you see case after case after case proving that wrong, that yes. it would take the most stubborn person to, to insist on still thinking the same old way. So exposing ourselves to this new information that, that stretches our mind, much like a, a lot of the gems that you've shared in this interview tonight, it, it forces you to think in a different way. And then once you've seen it from that perspective, it's like, well, I, I can't unsee it. And now that's, that's gonna be with me and that's gonna be a, a valuable insight that, that you can see the ripple effect of going forward. You cannot unlearn things. You can learn new things, but you cannot unlearn them, right? Once your mind expanded, you know, it's like popcorn. You know, once it pops, you can go back into being a corn. Yeah, amazing. So, Jack, this has been an awesome conversation. You're going to share with me the, the link where people can find, find your website, find the book, and uh, yes. definitely highly recommend checking it out. You can go to feartofreedom.ca. Uh, and you can see there's a lot of information there about all the authors, the forward introduction to the book, it's all there. So, and you can order the book also from that website. Wonderful. So, fear, fear to freedom, all one word, dot ca.
Correct. Wonderful. Awesome. Jack, thanks so much for this. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you very much, Alan, for having me.